We have a very real enemy, a spiritual enemy that the Bible says has come to steal, kill, and destroy. When we look around at the reality of the world we live in, we can see the evidence of this on a daily basis. But there is a greater reality. A greater reality is that we have a sovereign God, a king who sits upon the throne of the universe and is bringing beauty from ashes, gladness instead of mourning, praise instead of faint hearts. I'm going to read everything I said from the very beginning to there again, because if we weren't amening that out loud, we're going to do it now. We have a real enemy, a spiritual enemy that the Bible says has come to steal, kill and destroy. We can see the evidence of this reality in the uh, in the world we live in on a daily basis. But we have a greater reality than this. We have a sovereign God, a king who sits upon the throne of the universe and brings about beauty from ashes, gladness instead of mourning and praise instead of faint hearts. Church said, amen. amen. My wife, Jessica, has been burdened lately about so much of our attention being on the stealing and the killing and the destroying. We know it's a reality, but some, sometimes that reality can take all of our focus. Like Sometimes that reality can be everything that we think about. And the truth is, we have a God that is doing beautiful things that outweighs the destruction infinitely. However much stealing and killing and destroying is in the world, our God is bringing about beauty infinitely more times than what the devil can do with his stealing and killing and destroying. Amen, church? And I believe what I'm about to say wholeheartedly, one of the greatest means that God has for bringing about the beauty in the world is women. And mothers. Women have been uniquely created and fashioned and shaped by God to bring about generosity, life, and flourishing in the world. Amen? Men, do we believe that about the women in our lives? That God has formed them and shaped them and made them in a unique and gifted way to bring, a, to bring about generosity, to bring about life and to bring about flourishing, the very opposite of that which the devil is trying to do. God uses these women to oppose the works of the devil, to bring about the opposite of his intentions. And so this morning, I want to encourage our women and our mothers and bring attention to these unique giftings. And hopefully we leave here with a better appreciation of women and mothers on Mother's Day. If you will turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read verse 26. As God is creating everything... He gets to human beings. And he says this in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, 
And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Here, when God says, let us make man, he is not talking about males only. He is talking about mankind. Let us make mankind in our image. The reason I know this is because in verse 27, he goes on to say, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So here, we are speaking about a mankind. God is creating human beings in his image. God here is including women in this idea of mankind. Then we go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. And just as a side note, there are some people, I actually had this said to me last week, that believe that there are two different creation accounts. Genesis 1 and then Genesis 2 is a different creation account. What is happening in Genesis 1 is God is giving us a stepped back overview of all his creative activity. In chapter 2, he zooms in. He zooms in on the pinnacle of his creation, which is human beings. So in chapter 2, this is not a different account. He's going to zoom in. It's called recapitulation. He's going to retell the story now about the human beings being created, and he's going to give us insight and stuff that he didn't give us in chapter 1 in the overview. Does that make sense? So it's not two different accounts. Don't get that twisted and confused. Not two different accounts. It's here's the broad view. Now let me take just this one little part and let's zoom in and talk about it. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, when Adam sees his wife. Remember, he's been put under deep sleep. A rib has been taken out. God has formed now a helper suitable for him. And when Adam sees Eve, the man says in verse 23, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, females were included in just the broad general statement of mankind, man, human beings. Now we get, no, woman, there's this specific thing that woman is. She is she is woman. She was taken out of man. We're getting a little bit more specific. And then let me just pause here as another aside and say this. I have a lot of asides. But when, let me say this. When Adam sees his wife for the first time, the first time we see man speak, it is poetry about his wife. Now we could sit and talk about how we should be treating the women in our lives. But husbands, right off the bat, Adam's writing poetry for his wife. Now, I'm not saying you got to write poetry. I'm saying this should tell us somewhat about the, the nature that a husband should have for a wife. There should never be a time where, where you are not actively pursuing her or actively having romance. That doesn't stop because you've been married for 20 years. Stop complimenting her. None of that should ever stop. I would argue if we're doing marriage right, that should just increase the more and more we're, we're in love and in marriage. Got real quiet, men. 
Then something really weird happens. Chapter 3 of Genesis is the fall. After Adam and Eve sin and disobey God, God in chapter 3 is laying out the curses upon human beings, the curses upon man, the curses upon Eve, the, the curses. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 20, right after all the curses have been laid out, Adam says this, and it's weird. God says about Adam in verse 19, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. You would think that there would be depression with Adam. No doubt there was regret and, and sorrow and sadness for everything that has just been lost. But that's not the first thing he says. Right after God lays out the curses, Adam speaks, and here's what he says. And the man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. Why in the world does Moses, who's writing this, why does he feel necessary that right after the curses, Adam gives his wife a title or a name, Eve? Meaning the the one who is the mother of all living. The significance of this name, Eve, is important. How does it relate to womanhood? How does it relate to motherhood? It seems that Genesis chapter 3 verse 20 is out of place. The death penalty has just been laid out, right? God has just said, now you're going to die for disobeying me. And then yet Adam makes a statement about life. We just got the curses about death. And then Adam names his wife or titles his wife Eve, which is all about life. Seems weird. But God has put this here to make a point. And we need to look closer at it and ask the question, why is this here? Five verses before this, in the midst of the cursings, God makes this statement in verse 15 of chapter 3. I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent. And between your offspring and her offspring, you shall bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. These are deliberate, encouraging words from God that has gotten through to Adam. Adam is understanding that in the midst of this death and cursing, there is life. We're not going to die right away. We're going to have offspring. My wife is going to bear a child. So the death penalty isn't now. There is still going to be life that comes. And so he looks at his wife and he says... She's Eve. Because in the midst of the death penalty, I look at Eve and I say, she's the mother of all living. There is a life and living that is coming even in the midst of these curses. She wouldn't die until she has children. Which means physical death is not imminent for them. 
Her offspring would deliver them from the devil. He would redeem them. So through motherhood, we will be saved. Now, with me so far? We're rolling here now. This is the context in which Adam names his wife Eve. We also have evidence that Adam was thinking this way and that Eve was thinking this way because of what we found in Genesis 4.1. After they've been kicked out of the garden, after they've been removed from Eden, the Bible says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man from the help of the Lord. James Montgomery Boyce was no longer with us. When did he die, Brother James? Beginning early 2000s, probably? Wonderful Presbyterian. His commentaries are, are beautiful and wonderful resources. He says that when Eve finally conceived and bore Cain, both she and Adam thought he was the deliverer. They thought he was the promised one that was going to kill the devil. That's what they thought. Basically, they thought Cain was Jesus. According to Boyce, the name Cain means brought forth. In everyday speech, it would be, I've got him. He is here. James Montgomery Boyce, Boyce believes that the Hebrew here meant, I have brought forth the promised man. They didn't have any concept that this was going to be thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years later. They, they believed that, that what was happening was God promised in the midst of this death, in the midst of our curse, in the midst of our consequences for rebelling against God, God was still going to bring offspring that would deliver us from our enemy. And when Cain was born, they thought, yes and amen, here he is, he's the one. Of course they were wrong. But it gives us insight into the mindset of motherhood. Motherhood was to bring forth life, salvation, and redemption. Alice von Hildebrand writes this, There is a metaphysical bond between womanhood and life. This is an honor indeed. So the first thing I want us to see about womanhood is that there is a link between womanhood and life at the very beginning. Even in the midst of sin and suffering and death. So, so catch this. In the midst of Adam and Eve falling. In the midst of them bringing death into the world with their sin. In the midst of what Satan has just done. Kill, steal, destroy. In the midst of all that, God says, but I'm going to use woman to bring life in the midst of all this destruction. It's part about what motherhood is all about. Woman, womanhood is about living. It's about life and redemption and salvation. Now, the life-giving of motherhood, this statement that I'm going to make, it's not going to seem to make too much sense, but as I'll elaborate, I think it'll help. The life-giving of motherhood comes through, comes through receptivity. It comes through receiving. Don't confuse receiving with being passive. Aristotle wrote that men were superior to women because men were active and women were passive. 
Do not confuse receptivity or receiving with passivity, with being passive. Aristotle was wrong. Being a receiver does not mean you're passive, right? So we may say receptivity involves being alert, being awakened, joyful readiness to take what is being given. So we may say that a woman's receptivity is self-giving. When a, when a woman receives, she is in that receiving, giving. Now, biologically speaking, in the act of sex, woman is receptive. This is true biologically, spiritually, and emotionally. Motherhood is receptive in nature. Hours after sex, the woman's seed receives the sperm. At the moment woman receives the sperm, she is receiving another living being into her body. This is not passive. This is self-giving. I am giving of myself to receive life into me. A new scientific study a few years ago found that mice, when the sperm impregnates the egg, that there is a zinc spark that is given off. Literally, when the egg and the sperm meet and life is created, there is an actual spark that is given off. So researchers in Northwestern University decided why don't we study to see if this happens in humans? Let's see if when the sperm and the egg meet, let's see if there is indeed a spark that is given off. You know, we've used the term the spark of life. Now we're finding out that's legit true. Like that's not just the saying, that's actually true. What they found is at the moment of conception, a zinc spark of light is given off in a woman. Now, while a man and a woman are both involved in the biological process to produce a human being, it is God who creates the human soul, correct? When the soul is implanted into the woman, when that life begins, a literal spark is ignited. This is why God says in Genesis 4.1, I have gotten a son with the help of the Lord. She knows Yes, there is the biological function that me and Adam brought to the table, but life is coming from the help of the Lord. The Lord is the author of life, and it is the woman who receives this life into herself. What a wonderful privilege it is that God has given woman. During pregnancy, she is carrying two souls in her body. Think about that. You're not just carrying a biological person in you, you are carrying a soul in you as a, as, a, as a mother. Two souls indwelling inside of a body. It's not just a body inside of a body. It is a soul inside of a body, inside of a body, inside... I mean, what a privilege women have. Think of the words of Mary to the Lord after hearing God's gift to her. She says, let it be done to me according to your word. 
Yes, she is receiving, but this receiving isn't some passive thing. She's actively taking it in. Let's also think of the birth process. Now, we don't usually think that when a baby is born that the woman is receptive, right? The, the, this baby is being born from her. She's actually giving out, not receiving. But I would argue, what happens as soon as that baby's born? Given, given there's no health concerns or there's nothing that has to happen, what is the first thing that a mother does with her baby? Receives. Receives. So she receives the, the, the sperm into her body, which turns into a baby, which God sparks with a soul. This is all inside of her. And then as soon as the baby is born, she reaches and receives that baby back to herself. Psychology tells us that the, and, and um, what are brain scientists called? Neurologists. Neurologist. My goodness, that word just flew right out of my head. <laughs> What are, what do I call them, brain doctors? What did I say? Brain scientists. Now, how stupid does that sound? Now, you know them brain scientists. Neurologists tells us that the first thing a baby does when it's born is look to be received. That the brain is actually firing off to be received. And the mother takes the baby in. Again, not passive we got to get rid of the idea that receiving is just some passive thing. That's not what a mother does. So part of the dignity of motherhood comes from the active receptivity of the woman. So we've got life giving. We've got life receiving. And now I want to talk about homemaking. There is a beauty and a dignity about making a home. Making the home is a, is a making of a place of love and rest and peace and unity. That's the goal. To make a home that is full of love and rest and peace and unity. And I believe that God gives a huge responsibility to the woman to create this environment because there are things that men just aren't good at in general. Now, this has nothing to do with women working outside the home or staying. It has nothing to do with that. This is not a conversation of, you know, women should just be home raising the babies and cooking food. And when I get home, have my coffee ready, you know, whatever. It has nothing to do with that. But there is a sense in which God has called women to take upon themselves this calling of homemaking. In Titus 2, 3 through 5, Titus is writing to the church and he says this, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home. That doesn't mean you can't work outside, but you have work to do at home. 
and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Titus believes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, it is of utmost importance for wives to work the home, to, to home make, to make the home a place of love and peace and unity and joy. She is to do this in a self-controlled manner, in a pure manner, in a kind manner. This is an awesome task that God has given mothers throughout the ages. It is a place where husbands as well as wives can find comfort and peace and children know they are loved. It, is, it should sadden us that so many in our society have abandoned homemaking completely for the sake of a job. Right? That, that we're going we're to abandon it completely in, in place of this job, or we abandon it, which one of the ways that we do that is through abortion or abandonment, or taking a back seat and letting other people be the major voice in our children's lives. None of that should be true. There is a role that God has given mothers and women inside of their home to make sure that it is a place of love and unity and peace and joy and respect. I believe God has put this within mothers, within women, Gertrude von Landefort wrote in her book, The Eternal Woman. She says, motherhood is God's tenderness brought down to earth. Listen to that quote. Motherhood is God's tenderness brought down to earth. There is a sense in which the home is to be a place where the tenderness of motherhood is on display. Now, that doesn't mean women can't, I mean, men can't be tender. Of course we should be. But there is a unique gifting. Men, do we not agree with this? That there is a unique gifting that God has given women when it comes to bringing tenderness down to earth into our homes. And nothing should take a back seat to that. Motherhood and homemaking is a fulfilling gift that God has given women. She is a life giver. She is a, a self-sacrificer. She is an active receiver. In motherhood, women participate in the, advent the adventure of filling the earth with God's presence. I want to end this point with another quote by Alice von Hildebrand. She says this, Women play such a crucial role in both society and in the church that the wily devil is now waging a fierce war on femininity and particularly on the greatness of motherhood. He is the mastermind behind the philosophy of modern day feminism. The philosophy selects maternity as its main target, convincing modern Eves that it is the one great obstacle preventing women from developing their talents and reaching transcendence and self-fulfillment. She believes that the devil is attacking motherhood and presenting motherhood as an obstacle in the way for you to be fulfilled. That is very contrary to Scripture. There is fulfillment in motherhood. 
There is fulfillment in homemaking. And then I want to end by expanding upon the call to mother. Alice von Hildebrand, again, she's written some great books on women. She says, the mission that God has confided to women is best expressed in the word mother. So she believes the mission God has given to woman is best described as mother. That immediately should pose the question, okay, well, what about those women who have never married, who don't have children? What about those women who are barren? What about the women that can't participate, participate in this divine privilege? I love what John Eldridge wrote. He said this, the word mother is more powerful when it is used as a verb and not a noun. What he means by that is, not all women are mothers, noun, but all women have been called to mother. See, see the difference? I cannot think of this without thinking of Linda Nelson. Linda Nelson was a member of our church. I don't even know how long has it been since she's passed away and gone to the, be the present heaven. Seven, eight, nine years? Time flies. She visited our church once and it's like she had just always been here at that point. She showed up and got to work immediately. And her work was mothering children. She was a middle school teacher in the Mesquite ISD, and she immediately began bringing kids from school up to refuge on Wednesday nights. Immediately began buying them food, getting them clothes, picking them up, dropping them off, paying for them to go to camps. I mean, immediately begin mothering these kids. She had no children of her own. She wasn't called mother, but she was mothering these kids. I would argue it is what killed her. She mothered herself to death. And there are kids to this day Who's a, who I believe without a shadow of a doubt are not in prison and not dead because of Linda Nelson. Mothering children that never called her mother. When I had to go to these kids' homes and tell them that Linda had died of a heart attack, you should have seen the grief. It was the grief of children who had lost a mother. As daughters of Eve, all women are uniquely gifted to help others in their lives, to encourage, to nurture, to mother. All women are to partner with Christ in the vital mission of bringing forth life. Unmarried women should have spiritual children. Married couples have no excuse not to have children, either spiritual or adopted or biological, who thrive on love and dedication. You remember what Jesus says in Mark 10? He's there with his disciples and he's serving and he's teaching and somebody comes up and says, Jesus, your mother and brothers are outside. And he looks around and he says, who is my 
my family. Then he looks at his disciples and he says, here is my mother. Here are my brothers. What was he saying? This spiritual family is just as real as any other family. And the idea that you don't have biological children doesn't stop you from being a spiritual mother. We see it around here all the time. People who don't have biological kids who have raised nephews or, or nieces or grandchildren that, that maybe, maybe they, they, they don't call you mom, but you are their mother. Praise God for you. Taking on that responsibility. C.S. Lewis wrote a section in his fictional book, The Great Divorce. A teacher is showing him around heaven. And he encounters a woman of stunning beauty. It's someone you'll never have heart of, is what he says. Her name on earth was Sarah Smith, and she lived at Golden Green. In other words, a nobody in the world's point of view. And here's what is written about her. She seems to be, C.S. Lewis says, well, a person of particular importance. Ah, she is one of the great ones. Ye have heard that fame in this country and fame on earth are two quite different things. And who are all these young men and women on each side? Ah, they are her sons and daughters. Oh, she must have had a very large family then, sir. No, every young man or boy that she met became her son. Even if it was the only boy that brought the meat to her back door and every girl that met her was her daughter. No children of her own biologically but mothered her whole life. And in heaven, she looked as one of the particular great ones. A story from real life. Many of you have heard of Corey Ten Boom, who helped protect Jews during the Holocaust. She was involved in a lot of different ministries, but before that period, Corey and her sister Betsy were single. And in 1923, as a means of sharing the faith, they started a club for girls to provide young teenage girls with further religious education after Sunday school ended. Sunday school only went up to being a teenager and then it stopped. So they started this club for girls to keep being able to minister to them while they were teenagers. And eventually they started a club for boys as well and put them together, which was unheard of at the time. While the clubs were thriving, she began holding religious services for children with intellectual challenges. By the early 1930s, Corey's large family, biological family, had either been married off or passed away. And only Corey and Betsy and their father were left in the home. But that didn't last very long because Corey and Betsy decided they were going to adopt seven children into their home as missionaries. This period of her life was so joyful that 50 years later, she writes these words. 
Our quiet little thin three-story house was suddenly stretching its walls and echoing with the activity of the children. The side door swung in and out like a pendulum um, on one of the clocks, and it was a good sound. Although Betsy and I never married, we received such love from all of our children and were able to give them so much more of ours. The greatest gift that God has given women is the ability to mother. It may, you may mother in a very unique way. You may mother in a way that other, other women don't mother. But nevertheless, you've been called to mother. It's, it's the greatest thing can that be said. And I love that John Eldridge said that. It, it's, it, mother takes on a, a, a much beautiful, more beautiful form when it's not a noun, but it's a verb. So I would end by saying this. That's how we started. We have a devil right now that I have no doubt his spiritual forces are invisible around us. I fear you not, by the way. But there is no doubt that they are here. And what they want for your life and for the life of your family and for the life of your friends is to destroy and to kill and to steal from you. If you're a Christian, they can't get your soul, but they're going to do everything they can to ruin you. And God, seeing this, says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to create Eve's. And I'm going to put Eve's all over the world. And I'm going to have these Eve's be women of generosity, of life, of flourishing. And they will counter the opposition. And there is not enough demons that will fill up the pits of hell that can stop women who have surrendered to God to be what they're supposed to be. And on a day like today, we're just here to celebrate you. We're just here to say thank you. Thank you for being modern Eves that are going to step in and be life givers who are going to counter the attack of the enemy who are going to bring to, to men and to children what only you can bring. The devil's stupid. I mean, he just is. He's just stupid. His nature binds him to be self-destructive. God has put women in my life that I am what I am because of them. And in the devil's attempt to ruin me and steal from me and kill me, God has used the women in my life to make a preacher. 
to be used to make me the man that I am that preaches against the very devil that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And listen, men and women, you may not be a preacher, but you are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ nonetheless. And I would say you are that because of the women in your life. I'm not discounting the men, but I'm saying you are that because God has used women as a life giver in you that God has used to bring you to life. So women, thank you. Mothers, thank you. Don't stop. Don't give up. Know who you are. Know that we appreciate you. Even if you're in your own home, you don't feel appreciated. Know that we as the ministers here and pastors at Calvary Hill Baptist Church, we love you. We appreciate you. We see you and we thank you for what you have done, for what you are doing, and for what you will do for the kingdom of God and the cause of Jesus Christ.